Good morning, everyone. So as we get started this morning in thinking about confirmation and mentoring, I want to invite you into the magical wizarding world of Harry Potter. With, I'd ask you to pay particular attention in this clip to the ways that confirmation and mentoring show up for you. Nope. Ooh, Brad, check it out. <laughs> well, just watch this. Harry has been... Because Nationwide is on our side. Which is like mentoring in that. Here we go. Harry. There you are, you came. Now, are you sure about this, Harry? You know this is very advanced magic, well beyond the ordinary wizarding level. I'm sure. Well, everything's prepared. Now, the spell I'm going to try to teach you is called the Patronus Charm. Did you ever hear of it? No. Well, the Patronus is a kind of positive force, and for the wizard who can conjure one, it works something like a shield with a Dementor feeding on it rather than him. But in order for it to work, you need to think of a memory. Not just any memory, a very happy memory, a very powerful memory. Can you do this? Yes. Very well. Close your eyes. Concentrate. Explore your past. Do you have a memory? Allow it to fill you up. Lose yourself within it. Then speak the incantation, Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum. Shall we? Wand is ready. expect you to do it the first time. <laughs> that would have been remarkable. Here, eat this. You'll feel better. That's one nasty Dementor. Oh, no, 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 no. That was a boggart, Harry. A boggart. The real thing would be worse. Much, much worse. As a matter of interest, what were you thinking? Which memory did you choose? The first time I rode a broom. Well, that's not good enough. Not nearly good enough. There's another. It's not happy, exactly. Well, it is. It's the happiest I've ever felt. But it's complicated. Is it strong? Then let's give it a try. You feel ready? Just do it. Patronum! Expecto Patronum! 
I think I've had enough for today. Yes, sit down here. Eat this, it helps. It really helps. And just so you know, Harry, I think you would have given your father a run for his money. And that is saying something. <sighs> I was thinking of him. And Mum. Seeing their faces. They were talking to me. Just talking. That's the memory I chose. I don't even know if it's real. But it's the best I have. Oh boy. Oh, sorry. So excited. Here, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. So I'm still crying. <laughs> um, I, I can watch that clip. And, oh my and, gosh. And what better way to start the morning with a clip from Harry Potter? But that's not the reason that we showed it to you. Uh, this clip evokes confirmation and mentoring in so many ways, but just to lift up a few brief glimpses, I love the relationship between Professor Lupin and Harry and the way that Professor Lupin helps Harry to ask better questions, to go deeper. And he sort of models this care and concern that Harry is going to be living out for the rest of his life and ministry. Lupin doesn't come in and try to solve Harry's problems, but in the midst of a great personal challenge, Lupin is journeying alongside Harry um, and really showing him that you don't have to get it right the first time because none of us get it right the first time, but that there is a power and a grace in getting back up and trying again even when we don't have all the answers. So the Confirmation Project did all of this data collection and what we came up with in terms of mentoring will not surprise any of us, which is that healthy mentoring in congregational systems that are committed to lifelong discipleship is a very valuable participate or a significant piece of young people's formation for confirmation. Um, many of us, and we'll talk more about the actual detail, but what we are going to show you today is that there is good evidence for what we've known intuitively, that this really does work and that it really does matter. It has to be done intentionally. It has to be done as part of a much larger fabric of the formation of young people in the life of our congregations, our households, and our communities. So this particular um, presentation for us is one that has great importance to us. Uh, we began our relationship with my being professor um, and Kate being student. We have worked together now um, and begun to talk about the significance of the mentors in our own lives, our own adolescence. We conducted the research together. We have been active in sort of living and breathing together what you all know and practice on the ground about mentoring. And what we have found is that our relationship, as many of you have experienced in mentored relationships, is transforming daily. So I began as the boss, the professor. Still the boss. And also, in fact, I mean, we really have a lot of layers. So I was her student employee supervisor. Um, I was her master's thesis supervisor. 
a number of these different roles, but it has been a relationship that has in, become enriching mm -hmm. for both of us. There's a mutuality that was always there, but has begun to be cultivated in a way that I would now look at Kate and say, she is my colleague and she is my friend. And I just have to say there is no greater gift than being able to explore mentoring um, with my own mentor. So I feel very lucky to be able to do this work with Lisa. So our goal today is for you to be able to take research, something from our own experience and the literature that we're going to share with you, and begin to say, how can we deepen the practices of mentoring in our local setting, whether it's formal or informal? How can you become even better at this organic, mm -hmm. transforming experience? Because none of us become the people that God created us to be on our own. Um, so I'd like to bring our mentors, our sort of uh, communion of saints into this room. So I would invite you to turn to your neighbor. You've had a little bit of coffee, so you might be ready to talk to another human. I would invite you to turn to your neighbor and name one person who's been a mentor to you and one thing about them that uh, made that relationship so powerful in the formation of your faith. relationship yes or no yes so bigger hands bigger hands people look around and notice whether you're you know in majority and or was it a more informal relationship so kind of an even split was this person a family member was it a family friend no wow were they a person from school 
Very few. Well, that was about 10. Were they years. a person from church? Okay. Big. So maybe church works. <laughs> was this relationship less than a year? So Notice two, that. There were just a few hands here. A few, few hesitant hands. Matters. Was it longer than a year? So this quote that we found, um, we think particularly captures some of those notions of mentoring that I think are implicit and embedded in your own experiences. The idea here is that the mentor is someone who does bring to the relationship a greater experience and a greater sense of wisdom. It is not minimizing the lived experience of the young person, but it is someone who has lived longer, who has walked the road a little bit longer, who has been a pilgrim along the way a little bit longer. There's also, it's a person, as we saw so well in that clip, who is guiding and facilitating. They're not directing, they're not imposing, they're not pouring wisdom and knowledge into an empty soul. They're listening for the spirit. That time with Shonda yesterday was so beautiful, that notion that young people are absolutely capable of and engaged in hearing the spirit at work. Mentors have the privilege of coming alongside and hearing that and observing it and then supporting young people in claiming it. And then finally, this idea that mentoring cannot work if we are not in healthy relationships rooted deeply in trust. I experience, I'm a pretty friendly person and I'm a pretty extroverted person, but I don't completely trust the first per, the person I meet on first engagement. It takes time for us to find ways that we absolutely recognize that I am safe, that I'm valued, that I am absolutely someone they are going to listen to and notice. So that trust takes time, hence the hands you had about the duration of the mentors in your lives growing up who were really impactful in your life. Quick side note here. How many of you have been in churches or communities or um, denominational bodies that have begun to talk about coaching? We think coaching is a really good thing, and healthy coaching brings leadership to a level of excellence and, and capacity that many of our ordained and lay leaders have not experienced in the past. But we're talking about something a little different here. There are some qualities of mentoring, particularly youth mentoring, that we really want to be sure we focus on. Both forms, coaching and mentoring, are, are very intentional. Um, but mentoring is particularly relationship-focused and less about a particular goal. Very few young people come to an adult mentor and say, when we're done with this relationship, I want to know A, B, and C and be able to do D, E, and F, right? There's just a kind of cautious, well, maybe you're going to be helpful in my life, and, but I really want you to be relevant and interested in mine. There's the emergent growing. Whether they start as formal mentors or informal mentors, it takes time, and the nature of the relationship is unique to those two people. It's always intergenerational. That's part of what we're talking about. There is something called peer mentoring, which is extremely important. But this particular component of healthy confirmation programs is by design inviting adults into a covenant relationship with young people. It's all about modeling. You saw that in the clip. And it's this deeply embedded sense of modeling trust and support. And as relationships grow, the support can go both directions. But initially, it is very much about the adult being in a healthy relationship with a young person, honoring them, praying for them, walking with them, and seeing God alive in their lives. Mm -hmm. 
So as we did this survey, as we traveled around the country, we saw as many kinds of mentoring programs as there were congregations that we studied. Um, people sometimes will ask, like, well, what's the best way to do mentoring? And there are some parameters, but it's, it really depends on context. And as we saw from our show of hands, there's more formal mentoring, something with, uh, with a programmatic component, and then there's more natural mentoring, which in which intergenerational relationships are already existing in the life of the congregation. I spent some time with a congregation in Virginia, which is fairly small, fairly rural, where you know these young people have been working with their elders on the altar guild their entire lives. And to do some sort of formal mentoring would feel sort of, uh, sort of false and forced. So really knowing your context, because each program is going to work differently depending on your youth and your congregational culture. By far, well, I shouldn't say by far, a majority of congregations that we surveyed or we visited do incorporate mentoring in their program in some way. They self-identify. 57% of the 364 communities and people and surveys we've engaged really do understand that mentoring matters. Um, what's important, again, is, is sort of what they're doing with it. I've been listening last night at the table conversations. There are some of you who have very robust mentoring programs, and there are some of you who have tried and sort of are on the precipice of failure. And then there are some of you who have never really tried. There's some good spontaneous friendships that have been formed in your congregation, but you're ripe for the next possibility. What we found, and it's important to know this, is that when the young people we surveyed identified mentoring as valuable, there clearly was an actual growth or um, improvement for them in their actual believing and their behaving. Now, if we think about in the nature of mentoring and this relationship between two people and it being highly incarnational, that we are witnessing to one another, that God is alive in them, that we are bringing out the Imago Dei in each person, it makes sense that the two qualities of behaving and believing would be the two that would be both replicated. It's not so much about belonging. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. You are building a relationship which symbolically is belonging to the body of Christ. But the intimacy of that conversation, the particularity of the friendships that may be formed, they raise up and hold up the depth of what we believe and the depth of how we practice our faith on a daily basis. What then is a mentor? And that's where this incarnational piece really comes in. This is where we put some flesh on our faith. So in a 2012 article, Doug Oman and Carl Thornson found that much of people's learned spiritual behavior, things like compassion, forgiveness, devotion, it comes from seeing these behaviors modeled by trusted adults. As our own study showed and as we saw in our show of hands, this relationship has to last. It can't be just sort of a brief passing relationship, but it has to be intentional, long lasting. And that mentor really has to give of themselves, of their time, their wisdom, their skill, and their own story. Uh, and it's this sort of altruistic way of giving of themselves that really teaches, that really incarnates that we're more than just ourselves that as we are growing into mature Christians, we are not just growing into, into individuals, but we are growing into an interdependent body of Christ. Given the climate we're in in this country, um, it shouldn't be a surprise that there's a lot of conversation about how to mentor young people, particularly young women, 
um, in the public spaces. I found this article in the New York Times just about a week ago, and this particular quote from the current lieutenant governor in New York about mentoring young women in the professional workplace has echoes and resonance for me about spiritual mentoring in our congregations. She says, I want them to have a more expansive view of their potential. And to me, mentoring is all about letting them see and then letting them find the path to get there. So the question is, in what kind of tradition are we mentoring them? What are the values we're bringing into their lives? But it's critical, the timing right now for young women and young men to have healthy adults modeling healthy life, good choices, communal practices that matter is, I think, critical and vital. And that's one of the ways young people feel us being relevant and real, is that we're willing to be human, but also to be mature in our practice. So this quote um, is a quote from Edward Sellner, which we come to quite often. He, too, um, has recognized that spiritual mentoring is not new, right? This is not a gimmick. This is not a flash in the pan. This is not the latest thing to add to your confirmation program to save the day. Um, this is an ancient model of apprenticeship. It's an ancient model across religious traditions and cultures that we have claimed for centuries in the Christian tradition. And it is more of a calling and a gift than it is a task or a responsibility. That's really important as we discern who are the best people in our faith communities to walk alongside young people. How do we help us as adults discern those capacities and those gifts? It also depends much more on this mutuality, this reciprocity, and this building friendship. So it is a way of honoring the agency, the capacity, the wholeness, and the beauty of young people when we first begin. It's not saying you're broken, you're dirty, you're ugly, you're incomplete. It's this wonderful theological anthropology that says, no, you're amazing. And I want to give some time to listening to get to know you better. That amazingness is of God. That amazingness is the incarnation before me. That amazingness is seeing Jesus Christ in my neighbor. So how do we as adults begin to honor that in such a solid tradition? We know from our research that um, this form of spiritual mentoring cannot be imposed. Young people did not say, I want a mentor, when they said, what do they want from their confirmation program? In fact, the measures that would suggest mentoring were fairly low on their list, about seven. So what we've realized is that what has worked for the young people who then say, gosh, mentoring was really life-changing for me, is that the adults who've come alongside young people who are hungry to know more about God, hungry to know more about scripture, hungry to understand what they believe in this very complicated world they're growing up in, discovered adults who were patiently willing to walk with them and support them along the way. So it's not imposed. It's a miracle that comes alongside. It's a generous act from the life of the congregation, saying, this will take time, and we see you, and we welcome you, and we welcome your deep questions. Because our scripture shows that when the spirit shows up, every generation is important, every generation is needed, and there is that interdependence and that working together, um, that the spirit inspires both the mentor and the mentee in their ministries. So we've said this, but it cannot be said enough, that healthy mentoring has to be within a comprehensive whole the dynamic ecology of your congregation or faith community. 
Um, this is a quote that reminded us again, and we heard this over and over and over again, that while we were studying young people in confirmation, we discovered so many of their parents were like leaning in and saying, what is he learning? What is she learning? I want that too, right? Or I watched what happened for my daughter. It was remarkable. Could I be a mentor in the next cycle? Or my kid is like really rebellious. I need another grown-up in this church who likes him because I don't like him a lot right now. <laughs> and I want somebody to help me out. And then that parent discovered the, re the reliance that she had or he had on the community also was trustable, was valuable. So there's this kind of wovenness, if that's a word, um, between young people, parents, faith community, and our intention to walk along in their formation and their discipleship. So parent after parent said, my faith has grown because my young person was in confirmation, and then maybe I was also a mentor, or I made the salad for the potluck meal, or I gave them a ride to something. This constant sense that we're focusing on young people, but we have to sustain healthy relationships and a climate that is welcoming of the spirit in the formal and informal activities around them. So anyone who's been a mentor knows that you have this sort of sneaky suspicion that like, oh, maybe I'm getting even more out of this than my mentee. Um, this ministry has to be mutual. This is the dance of the spiral, spiraling generations in which the old empower the young with their experience and the young empower the old with new life, reweaving the fabric of community. These relationships are by their nature mutual and they have to be mutual in order to be effective. It's not just a, like, oh, isn't this nice that this works out? but that youth actually get this surge of self-worth and empowerment, which is so necessary for their development by seeing that there is an adult in their life who they're not even related to, who would love to journey alongside them, who cares about them to, enough to meet with them month in and month out. We're really excited about a number of the new resources that our denominations have been producing around confirmation that incorporate mentoring in a deliberate way. A particular one that is impressive is the Methodist Church's new Affirm curriculum. It's the post-confirmation window. It's a program designed for six sessions, six weeks, six, you, you design the space, but it's, it says, so we've confirmed them, now what, right? It's focused on them allowing time for deepening understanding of their vocation. And the particular, can you forward the slide? The particular benefit is they say the mentoring needs to continue. They say that's right, actually, when many young people are ready to articulate mm -hmm. what they need, are ready to talk about their faith with language and form that they might not have had at the beginning of a confirmation program. So this idea that by mentoring the young person, you are continuing their journey post-confirmation. But a firm recognizes that by doing that, we're preparing the next generation and the congregation itself thrives. What does this ecology look like? Um, you heard maybe in my bio at the beginning, I have this sort of geeky attachment to the catechumenate, uh, the ancient practice of our church to form adults for baptism in the early church. The reason I have a geeky attachment to it is it is the rhythm of discipleship that we have always had lived out in the context of faith communities. The geekiness is that we can reclaim it without having to use all the complicated Greek words. What's interesting is that our research reinforces the very rhythm that I see in the catechumenate. So this first slide is the kind of traditional layout of the pre preparation for an adult for baptism. 
you have people who are in what's called the pre-catechumenal phase, the seeking, the, the wondering, the am I ready, the coming alongside a faith community. There are marker worship experiences, liturgies, that mark thresholds throughout a person's process. So in the catechumenate, when someone says, I want to begin to walk toward this identity of Christianity, then there's a right of acceptance. There's an admission right. The congregation gathers around them and says, we're going to support you, and we're going to give you a sponsor, and we're going to walk with you and teach you. The second phase is the intentional instruction, learning the catechism, learning about the practices of the church, becoming embedded in a place with your sponsor and your teachers in the depth of the tradition. Then when you're ready, you have some kind of liturgy in a traditional catechumenate that says, I am all in. I am ready for the intense preparation before baptism. In a classic catechumenal process, this period is often Holy Week. It's that time when people will participate in all of the worship experiences that lead to the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So then they go through a rite of initiation. They come to the font. They are baptized. And then they live in this baptismal identity, this mystagogy, this time after being baptized. And they become someone who is claiming that identity while the community and their sponsors continue to walk with them as a companion. Fast forward to our findings and what's happening in confirmation when we do mentoring really well. The mentor is the sponsor. The mentor is the embodied experience of a congregation saying, we are here to honor you from font to reaffirmation to full vocation as a Christian in the world. So what does it mean? It means what do you see? Come hang out. You don't have to make a promise the first time you come to a confirmation group. We are going to have some kind of outward and visible sign of saying, you six young people are noticed. We're here. The congregation is going to bless you and pray for you. And whatever our tradition, hold them up for a process of preparation. Then we teach and learn, not all in classrooms, right? We've heard that. We go places. We go out in the community. But we reflect theologically on what we are learning, what the sources of those teachings are. Why does our tradition believe what it believes? When we're ready, this is one possibility. The, the I Confirm service comes out of a resource called Confirm Not Conform, a place where young people have been supported by their mentor to choose a piece of scripture, to exegete it, to like dig into it, and then to stand up, have memorized it, and speak it to their family, their friends, their faith community, and describe how that piece of scripture has informed and changed their identity as a young person in faith. It's a witness to a testimonial of their faith. This, in that program, happens before confirmation, right before. It's a time of fellowship and celebration in the context of their congregation. And then it's time to be confirmed. Then it's time for the church as a whole to honor their readiness. And we move on out into this life of witness, this life of continued practice as a Christian disciple on the way. What does this actually look like? So you might be saying, like, okay, Kate and Lisa, this all sounds very lovely in theory, but you do not have my volunteers, <laughs> and you don't have my kids that have as many soccer practices as days of the week. This is hard <laughs> in real life. Uh, so I feel incredibly privileged in that in addition to being on this research team, being able to sort of dive in deep to confirmation, I serve as an associate pastor of an Episcopal congregation in Nashua, New Hampshire. And those are my youth! <laughs> and the bishop, pointy hat guy. Um, 
He's got the best eyebrows in the Episcopal oh, Church. I really just need does. to tell you. He really does. He has like really <laughs> awesome eyebrows. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I've been a Good Shepherd for about a year, um, a little over a year now, um, and I inherited a, a confirmation program. My poor church, you know, what usually happens with confirmation, they're like, you, associate pastor, it's your job. But they did not know what they were getting into when they hired me. <laughs> um, so I inherited a, um, a program that was really based on an attendance model. So it was expected 75% of attendance in both class and in worship. But there was no sense of what confirmation was for. You know, what were the outcomes that we were hoping for? How were these youth going to be more fully who God created them to be, to be more fully themselves? Uh, so we really moved the model, and I was able to, um, to partner with others in the church to rework our process of confirmation. And this was sort of our first uh, confirmation class that tried things a little bit differently. So as our young people were figuring out how they were going to claim their own discipleship, we really incorporated mentoring because as we've talked about, how do we learn to be Christians? You know, it'd be great if there was some sort of checklist for every single situation, but this, you know, there's so many possible scenarios. So the best way we learn how to be Christians is by watching other people live their life and faith in Jesus Christ. So... I used um, a model from the National Mentoring Partnership to set up our program. The National Mentoring P Partnership is a great organization that has these five pillars for what an effective mentoring program can look like. Um, and there are many confirmation curriculums. We'll have some information at the end um, that already include mentoring programs that incorporate these five pillars. But if you, you know, want to make it especially tailored to your particular congregational context, this is a really great checklist to make sure that you're making all of the progress that you need to make. So pillar one, recruitment. So for us, we invited our confirmands to pick a member of the congregation who they're not related to, whose life and faith they admire. And this really got some of the discernment of confirmation jump-started for them, because they had to figure out for them what they want their life and faith to look like, and to actually talk to an adult in the congregation about what they admired about them and ask them to be their mentor. Um, we, as confirmation leaders, it's myself um, and two lay leaders, help them generate a list um, we went through the picture directory so they can sort of have a sense of who was who, and then they took that list home, talked about it with their parents, did some prayer and discernment on their own, and then talked to their mentor um, and asked them if they would be willing to walk with them on this confirmation journey. And you might be surprised who your confirmands pick. Um, we had some matches that, to me, in my head, made a lot of sense. We had like a you know quiet artistic girl who picked you know a quiet and artistic children's book illustrator. But we also had um, this very, very shy and introverted young man who picked one of the most gregarious members of our congregation because she had always made time to seek him out and have a conversation with him at fellowship hour. And he said, you know, in my life, you know, now and in my future, I want to be that person who's always looking out for the, for the person who maybe other people don't see. So you might be surprised. And the great thing about inviting your confirmands to pick their own mentors 
um, is that there's already that trust. They have a little bit more buy-in than if I came in and said, okay, I want you to be partnered with this person who you've never talked to in your life before. It takes a little bit longer to establish that relationship. So next step, screening. With our list that we generated of um, confirmation mentors, um, I, of course, took a look and make sure that all of those people on their prospective list would be appropriate. Um, and then we gave a letter to all of our chosen mentors, which really explained and outlined the process and its requirements, um, that they were required to schedule five meetings with their confirmand, um, to be present at confirmation as their sponsor, and then to do a follow-up meeting to sort of say, okay, so you've been confirmed, now what? What is living your life um, in faith in this community and in your larger life involve? Um, and inviting those mentors to a training with yours truly. So for training, um, for most of the mentors, and I imagine some of you can identify with this, when they were selected, they were absolutely terrified. They're like, don't, they came to me afterwards and said, do they know that I like curse at other people in traffic? And I'm a, the worst Christian in the world. So I don't know the Bible. And I don't know the Bible at all. Um, I haven't done any Christian formation since I was confirmed. So really equipping them to, to feel empowered to live out this ministry. So what we did to get started to really emphasize that this isn't a sort of brain dump where we're expecting them to transmit all of this content for confirmation, but it's really about the journeying with. We invited them to reflect on their own spiritual journeys and to practice, them, to practice telling it to each other. Um, and then we, we sort of talked about our roadmap for discipleship. So what we used in our program was basically a five-branch um, five way of we call it our marks of mission. It's five sort of broad ways that we live our faith in the world. But your context might look different. You know, whatever your particular denominational roadmap for discipleship is. And we gave them a packet of information that included resources, both information about each mark, um, an activity, and then questions that they could ask. So that instead of getting into their meeting and saying, well, what are you learning in confirmation? they would have a way to go a little bit deeper um, right away. And we also talked about our safe church policy, which in the, the roundtable discussion last night really emerged as a theme. Um, and what's worked well for us is that we either require our confirmands to be safe church, or rather our confirmation mentors to be safe church trained, or we open up the church early before confirmation so that we have other adults in the building who can sort of be that second presence in, you know, in the room or in the space so that we are safe church compliant. So you really have some options depending on just what makes the most sense for your program. And then, of course, you know, naming for our mentors what to do if you run into issues. Figuring out who you are and who God is calling you to be is hard, messy stuff. And there's stuff that might come up in those conversations. So just helping the mentors know that they can always come to me, they can always come to another uh, confirmation leader and that they're not in this by themselves. If I could just insert, one of the ideas that came up a lot last night is the possibility of doing mentoring with individuals at the same time at your church. So that opening the door early, I've had the experience of having teams of mentors and, men and mentees come to church, have some of them assigned to make dinner, um, 
that rotates each week. They have a fellowship time together. Then we have some kind of shared program. Then the two, the pairs go off, have time anywhere on the campus together. And then we come back and have evening worship together. There are a number of different ways that can, both for practical reasons, because of transportation issues, schedule issues, or just sort of anxiety issues in terms of trying to cultivate a new generation of adult mentors that are often supported by that kind of communal practice. And that really goes a long way with matching and initiating. We had sort of an initial kickoff meeting where all of the mentors and confirmands gathered at the church to sort of just get them started and feel empowered to begin their relationship. Um, and then that ongoing monitoring and support, I would check in with our confirmands, our youth leaders, and our mentors once a month just to sort of see how things were going, if they needed anything, if they had any questions. There were some course corrections that I had to do over the course of the year, and that is normal. Um, I don't lift up my particular experience at Church of the Good Shepherd as the perfect program, um, just saying that this is the way that we live out our incarnational discipleship um, in our inter intergenerational mentoring relationships. And lastly, that closure piece, and this is so important. Um, confirmation itself can act as a sort of closure. You might have your mentor stand up with your confirmand and present them to the congregation saying, you know, I've journeyed alongside this young person and they are ready to make a mature affirmation of faith. And then there's also the, the closure of the relationship. Um, this has been deep and impactful and it might continue in a different form, but their relationship as confirmation mentor and mentee has ended. So we asked them to meet together one time after confirmation to really mark that transition and say, now what? In the model of the catechumenate adapted for faith mentoring with young people in confirmation, a possibility that I see more and more practiced is after they have been confirmed, a continuing session or two with their mentor, and then when the young person feels ready to reaffirm or affirm their vocation as a Christian, that's a lovely handoff where the sponsor sort of honors and articulates in some kind of communal worship experience. This is the person I have been mentoring who now has claimed a vocation in these particular ways and I, I'm here to help us pray for and bless her or him on their way. Absolutely. It's been really neat to say, see the ways in which that sort of emphasis on intergenerational mentoring has spiraled out into the life of the congregation. Like without me sort of planning this, there's sort of been an emergence where some parents of college age students are interested in getting together with parents of middle school and high school age students and sort of doing that mentoring. Um, so you might be surprised at the ways that um, this could start something larger in the culture of your community. So I want to end with, uh, oh, <laughs> this clip from Moana um, as an example of what the fruits of mentoring can be. So in, um, in the course of Moana, it's been out a year, so this is not a spoiler. If you have not seen it at this point, <laughs> There's no help in you. Uh, so over the course of her hero's journey, Moana has seen compassion, vulnerability, and courage modeled for her by her grandmother and by her mentor, Maui. And because of that, she's able to offer that same gift of courage, compassion, and vulnerability to Taka, who we'll see in this clip. Taka, who has forgotten at her core her she own is. belovedness. 
And to me, this is really a sign of what I hope for for our confirmands, that in their journey of mentoring, they can claim more fully who they are so that they can offer that in turn um, to others. It makes me so deeply grateful for the work that you all do as confirmation practitioners and for the young people that we are lucky enough to get to serve um, and for the many ways that the spirit is doing in them far more than we could even imagine. We may have another ad here. Tefiti, it's gone. Let her come to me. Christian symbols in there. <laughs> 